Hi guys, Tyler here with a couple of quick announcements for you before we get to this week's episode. First of all, I want to welcome Jana Farron-Smith. She's such a dear friend of mine, friend of the podcast, former podcast guest. If you're a longtime listener, you've definitely heard me talk about her. Jana is joining our team. She's such a gifted writer, and she's going to lend her beautiful voice to our social media channels. So starting this week, you'll want to take a look at that. Jana's going to be sharing her insight and some of the things from the episodes that resonate with her. And it'll just be another really gorgeous way for us to deliver our voice to you. In honor of that, we've asked Jana to pick which episode we'll be airing this week. We are re-releasing an episode, and I'd love to tell you the reason why. The quick answer is because we don't have enough people booking as guests. The, the slightly longer answer is that Sally and I are currently opening up to receiving a lot more support around this podcast so that we can reach a wider audience and have a wider pool of listeners from whom our guests will come so that the process of receiving guests begins to happen much more organically. So I'm asking for your support in two ways. If you're listening to this podcast and there are some people in your life who you know might enjoy it and you haven't yet shared it with them, I ask that you do that if it feels right for you. Um, Another way you can help is by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It seems silly, and I don't even really fully understand it. Um, But supposedly, it really helps if you do that, and I believe that that's true. So if you do that, I will love you forever. Um, And the other way we're receiving support from listeners right now, or one other way, is through Patreon. It's this really cool thing where you can go make a monthly pledge, you know, like a dollar a month, two dollars a month, fifty dollars a month, five hundred dollars a month, whatever feels good to you. We are open to receiving all of the support. So that is on that website called Patreon, and though it might not seem like it directly has an impact, you supporting us, however you choose to do so, helps us create content to bring to you because it helps us reach more people and get more guests on the show. So I'm just rambling away here. (laughs) I no longer have any idea what I'm talking about. Um... But that's the reason that this week's episode is a rerun, and we're fine with that if you are, but we'd also really love to be producing new content, and to do that, we need your support. So thank you so much, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoy this. I hope you receive something new from it the second time around. I know I always do receive more deeply when I revisit content that I love. (sighs) And hopefully we'll see you next week with a new episode. All right. Enjoy. Hi, Sally. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I really just woke up. Yeah. This is not our normal (laughs) recording time. No. This is great. (laughs) Great. Well, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? I had a weird week, so I was, like, feeling nervous about answering this question. Um, well... I guess the best thing that happened, this was not a thing that happened to me, (laughs) Um, but my answer to this question is uh, that I spent a good portion of yesterday 
just catching up on the Big Brother live feeds and all the crazy drama that's happened this week. And it was the most enjoyable thing that I've experienced in a while because I had a weird week. So that was really kind of the highlight. Sometimes you just need a little distraction. Yeah. So that was really great. It's a, It's been a really crazy week in the Big Brother house. All the live feeds were very entertaining. Um, so that's, that's it. That's the best thing that happened to me this week was that I got to do that. <laughs> that's amazing. What about you? Um, I've had kind of a weird week too. I've had a lot of really amazing things happen, but what's really present for me doesn't seem like a big deal, but it felt like a big deal to me as this morning, uh, my boyfriend got up before I did and he finished off the iced coffee that was in the refrigerator. And then Mm. I heard him turn on the stove and I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm making you a cup of coffee. And I just thought that that was the nicest thing because it was great. I mean, I don't know. That was really wonderful. So I just felt really like loved and taken care of in that moment. And he is leaving for the weekend going out of town. So it was just like a super, super nice way for us to part from each other's company. I love that. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Thanks, Matt. Well, that was much quicker than our usual exchange. (laughs) That's good. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Who have we got this week? This week, we are talking to my friend, Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be involved. And I love that little story about Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's such a sweetheart. I think that a lot of his friends don't really know. Oh, we know. He's like, dad. (laughs) (laughs) And he just gets sweeter all the time, too. It's great. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Okay. So, Katie, you are here talking to us this week because a year ago today, you saw a therapist for the first time to cope with the death of a family member. Yes. Um... Since I, since I've done that, I've stopped going to therapy for, uh, because I switched insurance and Mm. my deductible is so crazy, (laughs) but, um, I, I had avoided therapy for this with dealing with this grief for a few months. And I, I basically had an experience where I kind of lashed out violently on my boyfriend at the time. And so he was like, you are not coping with your feelings and you need, mm. you need to do something. And I thought a psychologist would be the most responsible action that I could possibly take. Um, so uh, what had happened was on my birthday, I got a phone call from my dad. I had a lot of missed phone calls from a lot of people that morning when I woke up and you know, the night before I felt really weird. I, my boyfriend was over and I actually asked him to leave because I just, I felt so strange and unhappy and like, which is pretty unlike me. I'm a pretty like amicable person, uh, usually always in a pretty good mood, positive. But I woke up that morning and I got this phone call from my dad. I called him and he told me that my cousin Michael had killed someone. And I immediately, uh, broke down. I was crying. I couldn't even hear anything that he had said afterward. Uh, 
And this, my, my cousin Michael is not my blood cousin, I should preface with saying. He's the son of my godmother, who's my mother's best friend of like 30 plus years. Um, about four years ago, my mom and my aunt Peg moved in together because they're reaching retirement age. They're both single women and they wanted to save money. So I've always been close with my aunt Peg, but in the past few years, we've grown even closer and I've spent Mm -hmm. most of my holidays with her family. Her two sons were like another set of brothers to me, you know, like beyond cousins. So Michael was in his mid thirties and had always had issues with with drinking and was just kind of a wild guy, but he was hilarious, affable. Him and his brother told the best stories, like always making me hysterical laugh, like everybody. So this news came as such a shock. And I knew that he had been dealing with depression over a breakup himself. And I knew that in August he had attempted to commit suicide. uh, But I never thought that something like this would happen. So I called my mom and she was she was in tears and i was like so where's michael now is he in jail and she's like katie he he killed himself like he oh. killed this person and then he killed himself and i was i didn't know how to feel i didn't know if i would it it was just so horrifying mm. so basically to give background about about this story um michael had been engaged to this woman uh, who worked at a bar that he that he managed. Um, she broke off the marriage and told him that she was pregnant with the karaoke guy's baby. Oh, <laughs> um, and uh, so they broke up. And he, right away, he started dating this other girl. Uh, and she was lovely, like awesome. We spent holidays together. She was so fun, such a great person. And after a year or two, they moved in together. But while they were living together, she started noticing signs that reminded her of her uncle who had been an alcoholic who committed suicide. Mm. And she decided to break up, move out. He couldn't afford the apartment. He couldn't afford the new car that he had just bought, um, which was in his mom's name. And he just started unraveling. And even though I had an idea of what was going on because of what my mom told me, there's kind of this culture in Irish Catholic families of don't talk about this. Don't say anything to your aunt Peg. Don't, you know, don't like bring it up because it's Mm going to make her feel embarrassed or, you know, it's going to somehow get in the way of him getting better when really, you know, I don't think anyone in my family has ever dealt with depression and no one has ever gone to therapy. And this person was clearly suffering from serious, serious depression and probably years of alcohol abuse. And, you know, it just, you know, it can change you chemically. So I said nothing. And then, uh, in August after weeks, I didn't even know my brother was the one who told me, he attempted to commit suicide and he called the ex-girlfriend and she, she alerted the police and they went and they rescued him. And he was in the hospital for two weeks from alcohol and like pill abuse, which if you're in the hospital for two weeks from something like that, you really meant to do it. And, Mm -hmm. and it never really occurred to me to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of people fall victim to that same indifference. If, 
if it's not stressed properly. Like if a woman reports that she was raped and it's not stressed that it was real, like you're not going to take it seriously. And that this is one of the biggest lessons that I learned from this experience is that even if someone is showing even a slight sign of pain, take it seriously, listen to Mm. them, talk to them, don't be silent, talk to them. Well, that and, can be so hard in a, mm-hmm. like, like you're saying, in a family that doesn't talk about those things. No, because you want it to be fine and everybody wants to look good and nobody wants to be embarrassed. But like mental illness is very serious and alcohol abuse is very serious. And basically this just went unaddressed. And he had, the whole family knew that he had a gun that his dad had bought for him. And the family let the police know that he had a gun. And the police went to the house to say, hello, you've attempted suicide. You're a danger to yourself. We need to take this gun. And he said, well, I don't have the gun anymore. I gave it to my friend Mike in Pennsylvania. Mind you, his name is Michael. (laughs) Um, And they were like, okay, cool. (laughs) Okay. And Thanks. they left. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And they, and they let him keep the gun. Oh, my God. Months later, this happened. He, his his girlfriend, who had left him, started seeing someone else. Um, she was only in her late 20s, and the guy she was seeing was 27. And um, they had been seeing each other for a couple months, you know, probably not too serious. And they went on a double date. And Michael shows up at the restaurant in Port Jefferson, Long Island, and confronts the whole crew. And one of the friends that they were with tried to stop him, and he, at this point, had the gun in his hand, so he headbutted, I mean, he, like, butted the guy in the head with the uh, with the rifle, so he was kind of out of commission at this point. The ex-girlfriend and the new boyfriend get into the car to try and flee the scene, and Michael fires into the car. Oh, my God. And he hits the boyfriend in the stomach and the car stops. Michael goes into his car and uh, actually he didn't go into his car. He went around to the side of the car and shot himself in the head. The boyfriend died on the way to the hospital, I believe. And I've never spoken to, to this girl ever since. And I mean, it was just, it was just, Uh, horrible it was absolutely horrifying you know my family's really catholic so like and so is my ampex family um so the idea of murder and the idea of suicide is just i mean in any family it's unspeakable but i think for such a pious woman to have to deal with the fact that her son committed two of the most heinous sins Mm -hmm. just destroyed her I mean, since then, my relationship with her has never been the same. It's, it's as if she's, you know, hardly there. And, uh, she's, she's since turned to prayer. She's in like a bunch of prayer groups and I don't even think that they talk about what they're praying for in these groups. Hmm. And I don't talk about it with her and nobody, it was just, it was kind of just like a silent dealing with it even after the fact. And I was with somebody who was a real, like I was dating somebody at the time who was a really like positive person. And he, he didn't really take a lot of things in his life seriously. So 
even though I'm dealing with this horrific grief, he's just trying to make me be like, it's okay. Like, let's do this. Let's go away for the weekend. Let's like go shopping. Let's make you feel better. And when I would have these breakdowns, I could tell that it was totally causing him to break down because he was really sensitive and he was just, he's a really like empathetic person. So I was kind of trying to keep it together to keep him together, to keep it all together. And I never really dealt with it for months. Mm. And mind you, again, this happened on my birthday. Like, oh, God, I forgot that detail. Yeah. It's uh, like I was everyone was like wishing me happy birthday. And I'm like, uh, like and I didn't want to tell anyone because when I did tell people, I could just see the look on their faces and feel them. And maybe it was like a bit of an insecurity, but I just felt like I didn't want to share because it was too horrible and I didn't want to put that darkness on anybody else. So I was just kind of, you know, keeping it in and my family couldn't really talk about it. And my boyfriend wouldn't talk about it. And it was just like festering. Um, it it sounds like it was eating you up. It was. And I have like a natural inclination to be a pretty like fiery person. I wouldn't say that I'm a violent person and I wouldn't say that I'm an angry person, but I definitely do get, you know, aggressive. And all of this pain started manifesting itself in the form of like very serious anger. Mm -hmm. And one night I went out with my boyfriend and we were with one of his best girlfriends I mean, this, this story is totally ridiculous. I just have to preface this. And we all had to pee. And so also I should say I was drinking vodka Red Bulls because this was a Red Bull party. And I don't think anybody with anger management issues should ever drink Red Bull. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's so, funny. So we, I think probably nobody should ever drink it. That stuff has got to be bad for you. Poison. Pure uh. poison. And it brought out the devil in me so like I so we all have to pee we leave this party and we all pee on the street and we're done peeing and I see that my boyfriend like flash his friend his his dick and he's like <laughs> a pretty goofy dude yeah but I was like did you just do that and he's like no and then she was like oh, I didn't boy. just see anything I don't know what you're talking about and I was like and all of a sudden I just went quiet And for the entire train ride home, I was just silent and stewing. And I was, like, just brooding. And then by the time we get off the train, he's like, what is wrong with you? And I just exploded. I was just like, you're always flirting with her. This is, like, so ridiculous. Like, I'm so sick of this. (laughs) Like, you know, basic stuff. And I was like, I I mean, this is, like, embarrassing to admit because I, I do not behave like this. I was like, show me your phone, like. I know you're texting her. Like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> I know that feeling. Full on panic. Like, Im- immediately believing that he's, like, cheating on me, which was insane because he was so loving and devoted. And, like, I was just, I could not see the light. I could not see reason. I blacked out. I was seeing red. Mm-hmm. And he is a rebellious person. So he was just like not cooperating and not trying to make me feel better. He was just kind of like continuing to antagonize me and not recognize the fact that I was like really wasted and should be kind of like calmed down instead of antagonized. And 
I became physically violent with him. I like pushed him against the wall and I started like attacking him. And I've never done anything like that before. I've never been in a fight. I've never like hit somebody. So he was, and he had never seen me act like that. That's for sure. So he was like horrified when I saw the look on his face. That's when I realized like I had just done something horrible and he was like, okay, I need a little time. So we took a little break for like a couple of days and then we talked and he was like, you need to deal with some stuff, obviously. Cause I tried to make him, exp- I tried to explain to him that that was really not me. And mm-hmm. that's really hard to explain to somebody because like, what do you mean? It's not you. You are the one who just hit me. <laughs> yeah. But I really didn't feel like that had anything to do with the person that I am. It was just an expression of all this pain that I had been dealing with. So I was like, I'm going to see a therapist. I need to talk to somebody. I have a lot of things going on. And, oh, also for more context, because of this depression, I, I had just finished a job right before my birthday because I was working in uh, production at the time. I'm a video editor. I work in production um, as well. And I finished a job and I was looking for a new one. And then this happened with my cousin and I couldn't, I could not look for work. And then when I thought it was time, like, okay, I need to look for work because I'm like going broke here. I would go into interviews and just be a total spaz. Like I, Mm. and, and communicating with people, I was just vacant. Like I was just so not myself. So I wasn't getting jobs. And I had, like, no money, and then I had to take this, like, really crappy job uh, working for this production company as a video editor, and it was, like, terrible and, like, really stressful, and so that was adding to all of this. So, I, uh, so that was part of also what I was dealing with. So I go, and I look for a therapist, and I find this guy, his name is... I get, maybe I shouldn't share his name, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, I go and at first we like, I, I was surprised to like find that in therapy, they don't really ask you questions. He was kind of just like, <laughs> they kind of just like stare at you until you talk. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> um, so, you know. I went in there being like, I'm here to deal with my anger management and to deal with grief. Uh, and he was like, okay. <laughs> and I don't think that he ever really addressed my anger issues directly. I think his approach was more in just letting me talk about my relationships to everyone in my life, to my Aunt Peg, to my mom, to my cousin, Michael, to my boyfriend, and just realizing the nature of those relationships, what the nature of those relationships are was therapeutic in and of itself in a weird way. Like he didn't like tell me like, okay, when you want to attack somebody, just like breathe. Like (laughs) he wasn't like, you need to say, yeah. (laughs) Well, before we go much further, I want to pause at this really perfect moment and, Mm -hmm. um, invite you to take a second and shut your eyes and take a deep breath and think about, not think about go back to that moment when you were about to walk into your first appointment 
with your first time seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. And if you can, really, really let yourself go back to how you were feeling and tell us in one word how you felt. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a feeling. That's an um, uh, ashamed. Ashamed. And I think oh. it's because... I come from a family of really strong women and I've always dealt with things on my own and I've been through a lot of hard things in my life before this and always came out of it uh, a better person and stronger. And with this thing, I could, I not only could not deal with it and get past it, but I violently attacked someone that I loved and, and scared them and like, scared myself and it was just so humiliating to to know that I could get so dark Ugh. I just want to like crawl through the screen and hug you yeah, me too. <laughs> I also want to say that like I didn't want to interrupt anywhere in your story but I do want to take a moment to say how much of it I so 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 deeply resonate with mm-hmm And, you know, the only two times, I think there's two times in my life when I would say that I got kind of violent. Um, And both times were times when I had something that I wasn't dealing with and then had a kind of violent outburst and then was, like, ashamed and scared and had the same feeling where I was like, that's not me. What is going on? on yeah Mm. i mean i think what was really frightening to me was like was seeing that was knowing that i did that and then being like is this who i am like am i gonna hit my partner am i gonna hit my children am i gonna attack somebody on the street like i really really scared myself well Mm. and it just goes to show i think how What's the word? Corrosive. How corrosive a culture of silence can be. Mm -hmm. Because when you don't deal with the issue, it comes out sideways in a way that you can't control. That's a really good way of putting it. It is corrosive for sure. It just, you know, I had an uncle the year before, uh, actually a cousin of my dad's, but I called him Uncle Alex, who committed suicide by gun as well. He obtained a gun illegally somehow. He had asked my dad if he could, because my dad's like a big hunting guy. Mm-hmm. And he had asked him, you know, a couple months before if my dad could help him get a gun. And my dad was like, why? You don't, do you want to go hunting? You can just borrow my guns. You want to go shooting? We'll just use my guns. And my uncle was like, no, 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 forget it. Mm. And then months later, they found him in his office. He had shot himself in his chest. And again, this was an affable person. This was a guy who told the best stories. Um, I don't have a lot of family members who just call me out of the blue to be like, how are you? Mm-hmm. And this, this uncle did. He would call me. He'd be like, how are you? How, what's going on with you? Like He wanted to know. He was a great uncle, father, brother, son. And it came as such a shock. Yeah. And... You know, I can't help but feel like he committed suicide probably because he was dealing with unspeakable pain that 
so my mom is Irish. My dad is uh, Latino, where he's Honduran. And so we're talking about a really macho culture. We're talking about a, a patriarch. And maybe there is no way that he felt like he could talk about his depression without, you know, being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, and then this happens. It's just this the silence and this shame about having feelings. And I didn't even realize that I was guilty of that. I didn't realize that I was a part of, of that culture. I thought that I was a sentient person. I thought that I was an open person and this experience and going to therapy and having my therapist ask me why I felt guilt about certain things, about certain feelings really made me realize that like, I'm not as in tune or as like feelings doubt as I thought I was. And Mm. since then, you know, he, I explained to him my relationship with my aunt Peg, with my mom, with my parents, with my cousins. And I was like, I just don't know how to talk to her because I really didn't. I didn't know how to speak to my, to my aunt and be like, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why don't you write her a letter? So I did. I wrote her a long letter and I mailed it to her. I couldn't even give it to her in person. <laughs> and um, I uh, I gave it to her. And then I talked to my mom. And she kind of broke down how she, how she had been interpreting my aunt's grief. And it was anger. My mm. aunt was angry. She was angry at Michael for doing this. Angry that she had to pay for his car, which was being impounded for days on end because it was part of a crime. And she was paying for that and paying for this new car, paying for the funeral, dealing with this, the, the guy who got killed, dealing with his family calling and going on the news and having to raise money because they couldn't pay for a funeral. And, um, she was angry. And in my letter, I had said, I'm so sorry, you must be so sad. Mm. And all of a sudden, I felt like all over again, just like terrible and so unconnected to to this woman that I loved. Like, I used to go up to her house and, when I was in high school and in college and just like have tea with her and like tell her, you know, she'd be like, what's going on with your love life? What's going on with work? You know, <laughs> she was like another mom or like a grandma or like whatever, just a, just a strong nurturing woman in my life and I felt like I had lost that Mm. and it felt terrible so the letter was not really a fix (laughs) (laughs) but I mean but it was a step it was a step and I think it was good for me but maybe it didn't have any effect on her and I and I had to come to terms with that too that like what I do with my life is really for me and I can't expect to affect other people or help other people or have them behave the way that I want them to behave. So Mm -hmm. I, no, I was just going to say that I basically entered this place of like self-preservation. And unfortunately, even still, I find myself distanced from from my aunt Peg and also from my mom a little bit because she's so close to all this pain. And when I go there and when I see them, I get really 
sad. It really hurts me to see, you know, the ripple effect of all this. But I can find in my personal life when I'm alone, separate from my family, that I have a really rich life. And I'm, you know, I've since like, I work at Comedy Central now, like my dream job. And I have like a ton of friends and I have a lot of fun and I go on vacations. And I I know in my day to day, I'm really, really happy. But my family is still a bit of a pressure point. Uh mm. Not a bit. It's totally a pressure point. <laughs> like, I just totally minimized that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's worth taking a moment to acknowledge how brave it was of you to seek the help that you needed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm, that's hard to do. And I was wondering, I had the question, like, do people in your family know that you're going to therapy and have they said anything to you about how they feel about it? Oh yeah. Um, I told them immediately because even after the first session, when I walked out like exhausted from crying (laughs) for the whole time, Uh I was like, you guys got to do this. It's awesome. (laughs) I've had those days too where you like, you come out and you're just like, I can't, even hold my head up. I'm so tired from crying. Yeah. Therapy is the best thing that ever, ever, ever happened. Actually, every single time I went to therapy, as soon as I walked out, I would call my dad on the way to the train. (laughs) I did the Um, exact same thing. I would call my mom and I'd be like, want to hear what I learned about myself today? (laughs) Or like, sometimes it was like, want to hear what I learned about you today yeah (laughs) I don't think that they appreciate that as much no I mean I wouldn't even call him for that reason I would just call him because I'd want to be I'd want him to know that I just left therapy I'd want him to know that I was doing something like taking care of myself um and you know I think that he was proud of me for that because my dad also I should say the day after I lashed out on my on my boyfriend at the time I was going upstate with my dad and um in the car he was like what's up with you you seem so down and I I told him what happened I was like Mm -hmm. I got violent with somebody with my boyfriend and I feel so horrible and he he was so sad because he was like you know Katie like I have anger management issues I always have. And when I was really young, I was very violent. And uh, he got into a lot of trouble when he was a a young guy. And he was like, honestly, there were times where I almost killed people. Like, Mm. even as an adult walking around, he's like, and I've never really dealt with my anger. He's like, you need to, though, because you have such a bright future. And, you know, he's like, I'm older now. Like, it's it's different for me. Like my anger has diminished, but at your age, like, and with all the stress of your life, like it could become really bad. And, and he wanted me to have relationships and he wanted me to work through it. So he was really supportive in me going. I always mm-hmm. kind of wished he would go too. Cause he really, he's definitely got some things he needs to talk about. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I went and, you know, I told my whole family, And I think everyone in my family could benefit from therapy because we all kind of have anger management issues. There's just this kind of underlying, like, angry element to each one of our personalities. And 
Um, I would say that I'm the chillest one. (laughs) (laughs) So I, yeah, I tried to encourage them to do it because I was like, this is really making me feel good. Even if it's not like taking away the horror of what happened to us. Um, it is just making me think about things and it's taking off the pressure. Cause I don't, I couldn't talk to anybody else. Like yeah. even, you know, like my two best friends, I kind of felt like when I would start talking about it, like one of them would start talking about her problems and then the other one just like kind of couldn't handle it. Cause he was like so sensitive that I could see that it was just like killing him to hear this shit. And, mm. um, and then my boyfriend, like was just, you know, trying to be Mr. Positive, even though he himself had major depression, crazy issues. <laughs> and, uh, so a therapist listening to me without bias was just massive. Um, and so, you know, we kind of discussed my family dynamic a little more and I got through the grief. I got through it. I, just started feeling happy again. I started feeling excited. I, I mean, part of it was doing part, it was doing part to the distance that I was creating between myself and my family, which I still feel guilt about. I still feel like it's a little irresponsible, but, mm-hmm. um, I dealt with it. And then all of our therapy sessions started becoming about how much I was fighting with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point I walked in there and I was like, I don't think that I can come in here and talk about this again. So I'm going to break up with him. Wow. Good for you. I did that for a long time. And I I got to a point where it's like, I talked about my relationship with my boyfriend every single Mm -hmm. week with the therapist. And it wasn't until the boyfriend and I broke up that therapy actually started to really help, you know, because it was like that was occupying so much of my energy. And once I was able yep. to get rid of that element of my life mm-hmm. to be like, well, now we can talk about what's really going on and like, maybe why were you in that relationship in the first place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's so sure. interesting. The whole like thing that you're talking about is just like, what keeps going through my head is first of all, how deeply grateful I am for the level of conversation that I have in my life every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but also how most people aren't taught the skills to talk about the things that are scary and sad and angry, and we aren't taught how to lean into those emotions. And so they mm-hmm. just get bigger and bigger and bigger inside of us until, until we're not ourselves anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just like you were talking about having, having guilt about the distance from your family, but it takes a lot to bridge a gap between someone who's willing to talk about things and someone who's not open to it. Yeah. It was bringing me a lot of pain to kind of try and coax it out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know what? I got to go on this journey alone. I want the best for my family, but they're not there yet. And, and when they're ready to get there, I'll be there. I'll be there at starting line and Hmm. I'll walk through it with them. Like, but until they're there, like I, I have to be, I have to get to a a strong place because if we're all weak and we're all hurting, no one's ever going to get better. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just had to, I had to be self preservationist. <laughs> Does that feel lonely or do you feel supported enough by the other relationships in your life? Wow. That's a really hard question. Um, I don't know. I think it makes, I think when I think about my family, I do feel a sense of loneliness. That's a, you should be a therapist. My God, what a question. <laughs> so Ty was a coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do, I do really, because I feel so different from them. I, I feel like, I mean, also I'm the youngest. My closest sibling is 12 years older than me. And my parents are like immigrants. Like I am from another planet practically than all of them. (laughs) It is a little lonely, but I'm really, really trying to just accept that they are who they are and I am who I am. And not just with my family, but with everyone, Mm -hmm. even on this I just went on vacation with my two friends and we went camping and um, as I'm sure anyone who's ever been camping knows and on a road trip, you're like a, with each other a lot and yeah. it's like a lot of exposure and like, you know, I went with like one of my best friends in the world and one of my other really like best friends and it was just a lot of self-examination and like pushing each other emotionally and at one point in the morning, like we woke up late and I just wanted to get to the next destination. And I went out, I made breakfast for everybody. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go get ready. They were both ready. They had both done their bathroom time. (laughs) And in my head, I was expecting to come back with the car packed and the two of them sitting in the car with their bagels ready. (laughs) (laughs) And, I would come back from the bathroom and one of my friends is like off in the kitchen area making eggs. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, we need to leave. Like, this is, why are we making eggs? <laughs> like, I, I handled breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, I was visibly annoyed and like making like little sh- shitty comments And I said out loud, I was like, I was expecting you guys both to be ready by the time I got back from the bathroom. My friend was like, I think you need to lower your expectations of people. And I was like, whoa, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, are you mad at me? (laughs) So, so I was visibly upset and he was like, what does it matter if we make eggs for, and it takes five minutes, 10 minutes. And we, he's like, we woke up two and a half hours late. Like (laughs) the day is decided now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn. And I was driving. So I basically sat there driving for like an hour or so, just thinking about all of the ways in which my expectations have, determined and caused me so much pain and anxiety. Right. Like expecting my aunt Peg to deal with her grief and the way you want her to. Yeah. The way I want her to and expecting my mom to deal with everything she's going through as like a 60 year old woman and expecting my dad to like be healthy and get his life together, like, and not really taking into account, like, how can I have these expectations when my experience is com- 
completely different. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. how can I expect my Aunt Peg to deal with her grief in the way that I'm dealing with it when it was her own son? Right. Like, it's totally different. Well, and we can and... have so much, like, tunnel vision in that regard where it's like, mm-hmm. I think I know the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially if it's something that worked for you. And I think that's something that can be really challenging, especially talking about like personal growth. It's like, yeah. just because something works for one person definitely doesn't mean it's going to work for the next person. Well, and I think no. that that's what gets people caught up, especially when they start therapy or like start any kind of personal growth because, and it's out of love, of course, because like you just want the other person to feel as wonderful as you feel like to get the benefits that you're getting. (laughs) So it's all like with great intentions and with just such a full heart. Yeah. You're like heal already. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, yeah, but it can get really tricky, especially when it's people who are close to you. Cause like you, then you're just taking an over responsibility. Like it can get to that point very fast. Well, I mean, I mean, the story that you're telling Katie just makes me think about like the only thing that you can control is how you show up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like yeah. you can come back and see that they haven't packed the car. Like I can just so see myself in that situation, like coming back, <laughs> expecting the car to be packed and being pissed. Like Matt and I took a five week road trip last summer. So like, I hear you, Yeah, <laughs> but I know. And it's so like disappointing for myself because like, I want to be like chill fun girl, <laughs> but then like, I'm actually just kind of like uptight, drill sergeant (laughs) (laughs) the good thing is that like going forward you can you can like choose to react differently so i'm like okay if i could choose Mm -hmm. how i was going to react in that situation i would come out and i would be visibly annoyed for a second because i can't necessarily squash that impulse entirely (laughs) but then i would say you know what i feel really annoyed that you didn't pack the car but i also realized that i didn't tell you that i was expecting that to happen so can we like get a move on and get on the road because i'm feeling anxious (laughs) about the day you know exactly that is a really good way to (laughs) overcome that well but it's like or you can do what i know sally and i are going to have an episode pretty soon about a specific conversation that happened on our road trip last year that I, I was like, Oh, this is either we're breaking up or we're going to stay together. But it's mm-hmm. one Something of those things happening. Yeah. It was like the same kind of thing though, where I was just like, I, my reaction and his reaction was both to just to be pissed off and shut down. And then you're trapped in a car together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the worst thing in the world. Oh my God. I want to know what the conversation was. Well, well they hear it on the podcast. Yeah. We're going to do a whole episode about it. Cause it was like a huge turning point for me, but I mean, it's so interesting though. And you're at this point where you have this group of people in your life, in your fa- like as your family who you say are so, closed off, but I do think that the real gift in this is that you do get to choose how you continue to show up. And Mm -hmm. the thing that keeps like coming to my mind is like, you also get to continue to lead by example and to, Mm -hmm. to be like the shining light of authenticity. And just because they're not ready to open up doesn't mean that you can't continue to give them opportunity to do so. So I'm like thinking every time you see your MPEG to be like, how are you dealing with this? And if she says, I don't want to talk about it, then you say, okay, great. But if, if you never ask somebody the question, you know, and honestly, I never do. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I mean, I think a lot of it... I mean, I see her so rarely, mm-hmm. and she's just so vacant at this point. And, you know, my mom, she's, like, a big feelings person. She's always talking, but I think it's, like, a lot of it is kind of, minim, you know, minim, just minimizing her feelings mm-hmm. and just being, like, well, you know, I'm just getting old and... I I fucked up my life, but it's okay. Like, and it's just like this feeling of like not deserving to be happy, and I that always kind of puts me off. And then I like when I get a minute alone with my aunt Peg, like I don't want to upset her and I don't want to ask her. Oh, but you, and... haven't you ever just been in that situation where you just need someone to ask you the hard question? Yes. I mean, I love it. I love when people ask me the hard questions, but my mom has kind of conditioned me to feel like they don't want to be asked the hard questions. Well, then they can tell you that. Yeah. You know, but if you don't ask, then they don't ever have the opportunity to be like, I'm sorry, please don't ask me that question. Mm -hmm. I know. It's shitty because I feel like I don't have the courage a lot of the time because I'm afraid I won't know what to say. Well, I understand that, but I think you're very brave. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. My my older sister lives in Arizona, um, and she came out in our last, like, during the fall. And she went out to dinner with my with my mom and my aunt, and uh, our my aunt Peck's sister, and um, they started talking about about Michael, my according to my sister, and. She, my sister was Michael's age. They like were in high school at the same time. Um, and you know, they were just kind of both growing up in, in our area at the same time. And we were both kind of, we're both of our families were in the same like socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And we grew up in a really diverse area where you had very, very wealthy people and then very poor people. And we were very in the middle, maybe even on the lower end of the middle. <laughs> and, um, Michael was friends with really popular, rich kids. And then when they all went off to college, Michael stayed behind. Mm. He didn't, I think he went to like maybe community college, if anything. Um, but you know, when the friends would come home for school, they weren't trying to hang out with him. They were trying to go into the city and hang out with their new college friends. Mm. And I think that he never really got past that. And my sister put that into perspective for my aunt mm. because I don't think that she understood. I think that my aunt thought that all of this was due to alcoholism. Mm. Really, not really taking into account what the social climate of his adolescent years did to him as an adult. Right. Well, and it's also like, let's not blame the alcoholism. Let's look at why (laughs) the alcoholism is happening in the first place. Yeah. Yep. And I don't think anyone ever did. And I think that my Aunt Peg was really blaming herself. Mm-hmm. for a lot of this. Well, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. You, when you were telling us the story earlier on, you said, and you were talking about Michael's situation, and you said a few times, and I never said anything, and like, and I kind of wanted to say something, but I stuffed it down. <sighs> Do you feel, I don't know, I'm trying to like frame this in the gentlest way, but I don't, I don't know how, so I'm just going to say what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Is there any regret? Like, maybe if you, 
not just you, but if anybody had had the courage to talk about what was going on, that Michael would still be here? Yeah, I do think so. Because I think that I have dealt with depression with several people in my life and have seen what treatment and medication I mean not that I really believe in like medicating depression as like the cure Mm -hmm. Um, but I've seen what being proactive can do and I just left it up to my Aunt Peg to deal with Yeah, and she had never dealt with that she's coming from a totally other generation and you know I think that in 2016 shit is really complicated and it's really dark and it's just maybe I could have come at him with a perspective of being like hey man everybody here cares about you and I know that you can't see the light right now but like just try to do something just be just you know come just try to come back try to come back and that doesn't always work. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's like, you know, you were saying earlier that after he died, you felt like you didn't have anyone to talk to. Even though you had a relationship and you had good friends, it's not like you didn't have people who loved you. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of like, not even thinking that the people that love you the most are willing to engage with you on those things. I think yeah. in my relationship with Matt, I've gotten to the point where it's like, I am going to talk about this. Yeah. And it would mean a lot if you would participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, and I had, I actually had one friend who I, I told about it like months later and at, we were like eating breakfast and I told him and he was visibly affected. He's a really like, emotional deep guy like very smart and we talked about it and that felt great but then afterward he texted me and was like Katie I've been thinking about what you told me and it's really big it's a really really big issue and I really think that you would benefit from seeing a therapist and talking about it and uh, he even gave me a list of clinics that accept, you know, I don't, let's see, I guess I had just, I was still on my parents' insurance, but he still just, he provided me a list of clinics that take people without insurance mm. and do sliding scale therapy mm. Un- unsolicited. He had reached out to somebody else who knew that information, gathered it for me. And just gave it to me and was like, and it is amazing. And like, shout out to Reed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. You know, that's huge. Like, and nobody else had done that for me. Like, well, it's so hard. I feel like most everyone, not most everyone, a lot of people are walking around without the tools that they need to handle these kind of things. And I think it takes a lot to be like, I do not have the tools to help you handle this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yep. I see what it's doing yeah. to you, and I'm going to, like, go out of my way to make sure you get the help you need. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, nobody had ever done anything like that to me. Like, it was like, I felt like he really was, like, seeing me and, like, understanding. And it was just, like, huge. And I think, I can't remember at what point before I went to therapy that was. Uh, or at what point after the whole thing happened, Mm -hmm. but it was big. It wasn't enough. It took like, you know, violently attacking someone for me to actually take action. (laughs) But sometimes we need a couple nudges. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to know a little bit more about like how, how your experience with therapy evolved, like. It had to be, well, well, I don't know, was it uncomfortable when you went and began talking or was it easy because it was talking to a stranger? It was uncomfortable because I was expecting him to be like asking questions and then being like, and how does that make you feel? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and it was not like that. There were no prompts. I just would walk in and like start talking about like my day or like the news or like whatever. And then somehow it would always evolve into like talking about my family or my grief or, or whatever. Um, and then I'd be crying. (laughs) (laughs) I would just, I would walk in every single day feeling like fine. And then I would walk out, you know, my face like all blotchy from crying for an hour. Um, so it was good. I mean, I, I got to a point where I found myself feeling really stable with the grief and then realizing that my relationship was really, like, I don't want to say toxic because, you know, my boyfriend at the time was such a good person. Like, we were just really incompatible. Mm-hmm. You can have a bad relationship with a good person. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. But honestly, he was the first person that I had dated as an adult. Mm-hmm. Like... I had a boyfriend when I was in my sophomore and junior year of college, and after that, nothing until a year ago. I'm so that was like five years of being single, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, well, just like learning I to didn't... like talk about feelings, learning to be in relationship is hard. Oh yeah, another Huge. thing that should and... be taught when you're younger. Yeah, why? Definitely. I don't know why we get taught math. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Everyone uses a calculator on their iPhone. Instead, I want to be taught how to have a relationship and how to talk about my feelings. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I actually was in a in a group in high school, and uh, I think my junior and senior year of high school called peer group, where uh, it was like a really diverse bunch of kids. Like you had to interview to get in, and um, the whole thing was just talking about your perspective as a teenager. <laughs> I love that. That sounds um, great. It was fucking awesome. Like I loved it. And actually it was peer group that helped me get through a, an abusive relationship as a teenager. Mm. I was dating this guy when I was a junior in high school who was extremely abusive, like both physically and sexually. And that was like my first sexual experience, oh, you know? And that was really fucking hard. I can't believe and you hadn't already been to therapy. Yeah. I know, right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't need it because, honestly, I had the help of peer group. And this, like, teacher, Mr. Ravo, shout out Mr. Ravo, I still remember <laughs> you. Like, 
who helped me to deal with these really big issues as a young girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that a lot of those things maybe didn't get properly dealt with. So I also mm. discussed those things in therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I felt like I didn't know how, because I, I didn't know that it was that you could have a bad relationship with a good person, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just had a really hard time ending it. Uh, because I'm talking about my, my most recent boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he just kept kind of just in talking about it. He, my therapist kept making me realize that I, that this was just a bad relationship mm-hmm. and he was a difficult person and we were not making each other happy. And like I said, I went in there one day and I was talking about it and I was like, honestly, I can't come back here and talk about this. I feel too guilty. I need to end this now. Well, you start to hate yourself when you're having the same conversation every week. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least I did. That's ex- I really did. I was like, embarrassed i could like see him falling asleep and i'm like well and also it's gotta be tough to be the therapist who's like can we please talk about something different i'm so tired of hearing you say the same thing yeah and then so we broke up and then i went back a couple times and i felt like i had nothing to talk about because i was so happy and i was so free i was like i'm free of this like burden and then my insurance changed mm-hmm. and I stopped going. Mm-hmm. But after this most recent vacation and basically like a feelings fest for a week, <laughs> um, I am feeling like I need to go back. Oh, really? Um, I just feel like I still have so many things that need to be addressed. Like, I don't actually know feel confident about the fact that I could be in another relationship Mm -hmm. and be a good partner like I think I have a lot of trust issues and communication issues and expectation issues and I want to get to the bottom of them without without having to have the conversation about grief without having to have the conversation about my boyfriend who's upsetting me like I feel like I'm very in a, just in a place of like personal examination and I'm, I'm not the authority on myself and, or I don't need to be the authority on myself yet. I think I need help understanding myself still. Well, the thing about like mm -hmm. therapy that I'm thinking as you're talking about it is like, I don't know. Cause the therapist kind of does just sit there and stare at you and wait for you to talk which is Mm -hmm. the most annoying thing on the face of the planet. Um, (laughs) But I think really the reason it's so valuable is it's an hour Mm -hmm. every week where you Mm -hmm. have the space to look at the way you're existing in the world. And Mm -hmm. with therapy or with coaching or with peer group in high school or whatever it is, it's like if you don't have that space, it's really, really challenging Mm-hmm. to look at those things. Yeah, because it feels like a waste of time. And to just, you know, 
be thinking about my feelings. <laughs> um, and, but the fact is, like, these are really hard times. And I think that our generation is so, like, the self-analytical behavior is really inherent. And, but we're not psychologists. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here analyzing my behavior but not really understanding, like, what the, any of it is or, like, what the relationship of it is to my past and what it's going to be to my future. And I can't expect to be my own doctor. Like, I have to go and talk to a professional who can, like... Because the fact remains, like, I got physically violent with somebody and I know that I was dealing with grief. But that is inside of me. And I... I'm afraid of that happening again. And I just want to be happy and I just want to keep everyone around me safe and loved. And like, I might need to go to therapy for the rest of my life and that's okay. I took a break, but I'm like very ready to go back. Mm. Um, you know, I'd like to be in a relationship again, but there's something inside of me that's like really not allowing myself to connect to other people. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, my friends and stuff, but, um, and even then, I don't know. I just find I've kind of been in this place of solitude despite being surrounded by people for a while. Mm -hmm. And I like want to come out of that. I like want to connect again and I want to, I just grow. I don't know. I think all of this is so great because I think it can be really challenging to admit those things to yourself yeah. about yourself and then to be like mm-hmm. and I want to change them yeah <laughs> yeah for sure I really do because you know I'm like 26 I'd like to be in a relationship again I'd like to be able to not avoid my mom and my aunt Peg and go home and talk to them and ask questions and let them be who they are and not feel upset about it. So I think, yeah, I've been having some fun (laughs) and I'm ready to (laughs) get down to business again. Ready to hunker down. Yeah. Ready to hunker down. (laughs) I love it. Would you want to go back (laughs) to the same therapist or are you wanting to start a new? Um, I actually would like to look for a new person. Um, One, because of cost, and two, because as much as I liked this guy a lot, I kind of felt like he was falling asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? There were... And uh, somebody recently pointed out to me that that might be because he is on drugs. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) And and it, it it clicked because... I've also dealt with, oh my God, and I actually left out a crucial, huge part of my story. Oh no. (laughs) Oops. What was it? So when this happened, when my cousin died, I was living with this couple. When I first moved in, it was just me and the other girl. Not too bad. While we're living together, her boyfriend loses his job. And I was friends with him. We all went to college together. He loses his job. He had dropped out, though, because of a heroin addiction and moved back home. And he loses his job because this woman lost her wallet in the store and she came back for it and all of the money was missing from it. And she accused him. 
oh, of wow. taking it and he lost his job. Now, I didn't think for a second that he was guilty because her girlfriend was like, this fucking bitch, she's accusing him. They're going to court. And I was like, damn, like, fuck her. Like, <laughs> um, you know, just like on his side. And he moves in and slowly, like, things started going missing. Oh, no. And um, so I'm dealing with all of this grief and, like, losing stuff, like, left and right. And thinking I'm, like, really losing my mind. I can imagine. Uh, And once I got my shit together a little bit, I realized that he was, like, gaslighting me. And, you know, I would be like, oh, my God, my fucking, like... Because, you know, I had, like, an extra iPhone that I would use in case I I broke mine. Which I did because in two angry fits after my cousin died, I smashed my cell phone. Mm. Um, and so I went looking for my spare and it was gone. And I was like, no way. Did I lose that? Like all of my stuff is in this apartment. Where did it go? And it never occurred to me that it was stolen. I just thought I freaking lost it. And like a bunch of other stuff like that. And then I, I got a bunch of Christmas money and I stashed it away in this like hiding place in my room. I also lived in a railroad apartment, so they would have to walk through my room to get to the kitchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so apparently while I was away at work, he was just always going into my room and like snooping around and he found my Christmas money and he fucking took what? it. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, and this was like literally at the height of me dealing with all of this grief. And I could hear him when he was home, like doing drugs in the bathroom. And I just like never said anything. I just like let it go. And so he took my money and I barge into their bedroom and he's just laying there like in the dark with the glow of the TV on his face. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You've stolen so much from me, but now like my Christmas money, like what is wrong with you? And he was like, if you're accusing me uh, and my girlfriend of stealing from you. And I was like, no, 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 I'm accusing you. I know that you're doing drugs. I don't know what drugs you're doing, but you're doing drugs and you're stealing from me. Mm. So this is not okay. I am moving out. And he was like, well, how well do you know your boyfriend? And I was like, I bet you think about that every time you steal from me. Like this is over. And she confronted me and told me that money had been missing from her stuff. And she was very confused. She was like, I don't know if it's him or if it's, you know, your boyfriend or like what's going on. And it wasn't a fight. She was just really sad. Mm. And I was like, I can, I was like, other things have gone missing. I can hear him doing drugs and he's always nodding out. I'm like, when I talk to him, he just starts falling asleep. It's a very clear sign that he's on drugs, which is, I bring this up because this is what was happening with my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing you didn't say your therapist's name earlier. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Totally. Um, and she was like, but he gets drug tested every week. And I'm like, by who? And she's like, his parents. And I'm like, he lives with you now. I'm like, his parents are not coming here to drug test him. I'm like, you're delusional. So I had to leave. So basically it was the combination of like going to therapy, getting a new apartment and getting a really good new job that like saved my life. Yeah, And it was magical. It all happened around the exact same time. And, you know, I made it all happen. Like it wasn't just 
like somebody granted my wish. Like I really, I woke, it was the therapy that helped me wake up and be like, all right, something's got to change now. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get this, let's get this together. And it totally saved my life. And that poor girl ever since, since then that, that, that couple has broken up. So (laughs) thank goodness goodness is right. What a fucking scumbag. (laughs) (laughs) There was just, I mean, not to get too off topic, but there was just an episode of this American life that had a story that was like exactly like that. And this, this guy was stealing from his girlfriend for like over a year and she oh my god yes her had been stolen and like yes i heard about this <laughs> people are well, and crazy. you know what i think all of this is honestly i mean not to oversimplify i know it's very complicated <laughs> but i do think that all of this shit all of this unhealthy behavior is usually a byproduct of not learning how to talk about your feelings yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. like because you do drugs to deal with whatever mm-hmm. you're feeling that you can't mm-hmm. bear. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes drugs are fun. They're not always to deal, but. Yeah, they're not always an escape. Sometimes it just feels really good to, like, be on Molly exactly. and, like, having fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, any any kind of, like, addictive behavior. And it's just, like, it's so interesting because it's this whole, every single thing that we've talked about, every problem every unhealthy behavior that we've talked about in this whole time, this whole conversation, I do think all stems from the same thing. And it's just like, why is it so hard to talk? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think it takes, I think that our next generation, you know, our children, hopefully, um, We'll be able to talk more yeah. because I think that psychology is entering like the arena as a main contender. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I mean personal personal growth and coaching is like one mm-hmm. of the fastest growing industries in the world. Yeah. No, I mean, I I wish other members of my family would go to therapy, and maybe in the future they will, but. I don't know. I just feel like amongst my friends, like I know so many people who have gone, I just talking is easier. Um, and you know, I, I hope to always be a person that people can, can come and talk to. And now when I know that someone has gone through something like, or I see someone is going through something, I make a point to be like, Hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the thing, the ways in which you can deal with this. Maybe if I have advice even, but I don't know. I think that the most valuable thing that I can take away from all of this is that just talk to people, be a person that people can talk to. It's like being able to create the safe space for someone to talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like be, be the read in the situation where I say like, Hey, what you said is serious and I'm taking it seriously and I love you and I'm worried about and you. And I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see you. It's really it's really hard to to know that that's what's going on and so I think the best thing that you can do is just be there for the people in your life. Like I'll be here for my niece and nephew if they're going through something if, you know, elementary school's really hard or, <laughs> <laughs> um or you know for my own children like to let my sons know, like, you can 
cry, be emotional. Like Mm -hmm. if you're confused about something like talk to me or for my daughters to be like sexual abuse is a reality. If you, even if you trust someone, like even if you love someone, like they can take advantage of you and you need to, you know, you need to help, you need help figuring things out for your whole life. Like you're always going through changes and you're always experiencing new things and you should grow. You should want to grow. Well, and I think also, I mean, not that you've said you're going to give up on your family, but like, don't give up on them and (laughs) they might surprise you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I would say, can I give you a little bit of unsolicited advice? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, totally. If something is like on your heart, then ask the hard question. Yeah. You know, because it might just be the thing that they need to know that it's safe to talk about it. Even if they still choose not to talk about it, you having the courage to ask and that like kind of act of love, I think it makes a bigger difference than you can possibly know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually did that just last weekend. My mom picked me up from the airport and we were talking and she just started kind of going into her typical spiel of complaints about what's going on with her. And I was like, mom, you haven't even asked me how my vacation was. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed the last couple of times that we hang out, you're kind of unpleasant to be around. (laughs) (laughs) And it felt really fucked up to say that because it's my mom and I love her and she's amazing. Did it also feel kind of great? (laughs) It did. She was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I don't want to say that I think you're depressed, but it sounds like you're in a rut Mm -hmm. and I'm in a position to help you. Like, you know, I make good money. Is there something that I can do for you? Can I like get you a gym membership? Can I book you a vacation? Like you're the nicest. Yeah. that's (laughs) I was like, I feel guilty because I'm over here enjoying my life so much and you're sad on the bus because you can't afford a car payment and getting like lice she got lice twice last year and it just it just kills me to hear her complain about stuff because i'm like fuck you know i have such a good time i was like do you resent me for how much i enjoy my own life she's like katie (laughs) let me explain (laughs) she was like I've had two husbands. I have four children. When you're the person in that situation, left behind, watching your children grow up, the best thing about my life is seeing you all enjoy yours. She's like, the greatest accomplishment that I've made in my life is providing you all with a future. Like... I get such great joy from seeing you go on vacations and from seeing your brother with his children and, you know, seeing your sister buying a house. Like, all of these things bring me joy and they bring me out of my reality. And I was just like, wow. Mm. Okay. (laughs) She was like, of course I don't resent you. She's like, I want you to have these experiences. Like, this is why I sacrificed. Mm. And I was like, damn like it's so good to hear you say that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i can let go of all that guilt Mm -hmm. 
Oh, now I just want to hug your mom. <laughs> I know, right? Me too. I still want to get her a gym membership, though. I still think she'd be happier if she could move and groove a little bit. <laughs> like go to Zumba. Yeah, totally. I know she would just love it. Aww. Well, you should do that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think I'm going to throw down. Unfortunately, she lives in such an expensive part of Long Island that, like, it's every single gym out there costs, like, $80 a month. Mm. <laughs> so I think I'm going to commission my brother and sister and make them split it with mm. me. Oh, it's even better. <laughs> Joint gift. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's It definitely pays to just bring it up. Just ask the hard questions say the thing that's eating away at you because you never know it could save somebody's life yeah well i'm so i mean i'm so proud of you i'm so proud of you (laughs) thank you i'm proud of you too (laughs) i'm proud of both of you for doing this and tyler for for making the shift you know to to doing life coaching and stuff it's it's big it's a really big leap sally i don't know your your history or where you're at. But. She's equally um, amazing. Yeah, I believe it. If you're friends with Tyla, I believe it. Um, well, Sally, do you have any other questions before we ask our final questions? No, no, I'm good. This has been beyond awesome. You've been so quiet <laughs> over there. I know. I've just been taking it all in. I just been like <laughs> enraptured. <laughs> well, we have a question or a couple of questions that we always end with. And the first of them mm-hmm. is now when you look back on that first therapy session, if you had to describe how you feel about it now in one word, what would you choose? Proud. Mm-hmm. And then the final question, final, final question <laughs> is if you could give yourself on that day a piece of advice from where you are now or not even advice, but if you could just say something to yourself back then from the person that you are now, what would you say? Just go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Just go forward. Keep, you know, just take, take your time. It's a long journey. Commit. I don't know. Maybe commit. Yeah. Mm. Commit. Commit. Well, I can't wait to see what you learn about yourself if you go back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to keep me posted in real life. <laughs> I will, for sure. I mean, I've, and if you guys have any advice on cheap therapists in New York City, please do forward that info. Yeah. If anybody out there listening has any advice on that, send it to our email, which is a year ago podcast at gmail.com. Yay. Yes. You can send us that. You can send us absolutely any feedback you have about anything you've heard. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Or if you have okay. a message from Katie, you could send us that and we'll pass it on yeah. to her. Um, Katie, where can the people find you on the internet? Um, well, my Instagram is probably my most active thing. You can see all my travels and happy times on that. Uh, it's at Ricky Tan five underscores <laughs> R I C K Y T A N 
Um, underscore, 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 underscore. underscore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all the other ones were taken. It's, I get it's if for those of you who don't know, it's the villain in Rush Hour too. Oh, I didn't know. I had no idea why. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so I guess a lot of people enjoy that film as much as I do. Well, rightly so. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. This was great. <laughs> Sally, where can the people find you on the internet? You can find me on social media at Sally Simply, and you can find me uh, at SallyMercedes.com or UnmutedExpression.com. Woo! And I am at TylaFowler.com, and social media is Tyla M. Fowler, M as in Megan. <laughs> uh, you can also find <laughs> us on Twitter and Instagram. No. Yes. Well, I guess we are on Instagram and Facebook at a year ago podcast. And if you like our intro outro music, you can find Zena hell at Z Y N A H E L on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, that's all of the things, right? Cause you already yeah. plugged in our email way to I go. Us. That's all the things. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening so much. Yeah. I don't know that we, I think we try, but I don't know that we adequately express how much it means to us mm-hmm. that you're listening to this because it really like makes my whole world go round. <laughs> it's so special it really and it, does. Uh, it's so special. And I, uh, I could cry. Yeah. We love you so much guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Until Bye. next time. Bye.